Thank you, Gracie. Miracle. We are going through the book of Romans, and this morning we have come to Romans chapter 7. I encourage you to turn there as we're going to read in a moment. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 130, tells us that the unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. And there is... So much truth in the scriptures, uh, so much that we can learn and grow closer to God. I, I think of Romans 10, verse 17 in, in the King James, where it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And, and this morning, I encourage you to, to follow along. We're going to be uh, going right down through Romans chapter 7. Uh, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter this morning. probably have to come back next week and, and uh, finish up the chapter uh, but I want to look this morning. Uh, we have here the admission of a struggling Christian. Romans 7, encourage you when you find that. Stand in God's honor. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, 14 through 20, and verse 24. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It is sin living in me that does it. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Let's pray. Master, here we are. Father, looking at your truth, I pray that you would open up your word to us. It is the unfolding of your words that gives light. Unfold your word to us, God. Uh, we need to hear from you. Uh, I know it's crazy that you decide to work through weak people, of which I am one. But I pray, Father, you would. Help me not to ramble on and on, as we preachers tend to do. But under the guidance of your Holy Spirit, speak to us that we might hear what you want us to hear. And, Father, that you might just move us to follow you. Because what we need is a closer walk with you. So, 
Guide us in the time that remains. May we really worship you. After all, we call this a worship service, so may we worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Guys, you start out in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 3. It talks about the fact that we are sinners. That, that we are depraved. And it paints a, a rather nasty picture. Then you get to chapters 4 and 5. And it talks about the awesome power of God's grace and His love. He uses some illustrations in chapter 4 to, to share that wonderful truth. Chapter 5, it talks about having the peace of God and, and how that's at work. Then you come to chapter 6 and it talks about that we are slaves. Either slaves to sin or we are slaves to righteousness when we come to Jesus Christ and walk with Him in faith. And I mean, it's an awesome, awesome picture of God's wonderful work of grace. Then we come to chapter 7 today. And what we have here is an admission. What we have here is a testimony from the Apostle Paul. I counted over 20 times there's personal pronouns used where, you know, no longer are we just talking about theology or we're just talking about Bible truth. We're talking about Paul and his real-life struggle. And it is a real-life struggle that we all face as well. And that's what we're going to look at today as, as we look in the Scripture and as, as God talks to us. This is not something that's disconnected or detached from everyday life. This is life. This is what it is to walk with a living God. And, and, and so as we look at Paul's story, look at our story. And it's interesting here, verse 24, as he talks, he said, What a wretched man I am. <laughs> Remember John Newton's wonderful song that we love to sing, Amazing Grace. He says, grace that saved a rich like me. It's interesting. I looked in the dictionary. What is a rich, uh, a deplorably unhappy, miserable person? A person to be pitied because of his misery. Paul wants so much to obey God and to walk with Him. And yet the truth of the matter is, he realizes he's a screw-up and he is a mess-up and that he does what he doesn't want to do and what he doesn't want to do. That's what he finds himself doing. And yet I dare say, guys, this is not just the testimony of an old missionary in the Scriptures. It's a testimony of every believer. It's, it's where the rubber hits the road, as they say. And so as we look at the Scripture today, as Paul shares his testimony and as, as he shares his heart, um, we see ourselves. So he starts out here in the first couple of verses. And he uses an illustration from marriage. As you look in chapter 7 here, we're just going to do walk on down through the Scripture. I, I think in preaching books, they call this like run-on commentary. Where you're looking at Scripture and then the preacher comments on it. He says, do you not know, brothers? I'm speaking to men who know the law. He's talking here about civil law, not the Mosaic law of the scriptures, but the law of the land, the government law. And he uses the example here in verse two of marriage. He says, by law, a married woman's bound to her husband as long as he's alive. Now, know that that is the case by law. If you're married and you're both still alive, then there is a covenant. There is a connection. But he says here. If her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. She is free to remarry because death has broken that covenant. 
says in verse 3, So then if she married another man while her husband's still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Then he moves from this civil law example to the Mosaic law example. Verse 4, as he starts out with that connecting word, so, he says, So, my brothers, you also died to the law. And here he's referring to that Mosaic law. Through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. To him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. He's talking here, he says, you move from the master of trying to obey the law, of strictly keeping the details of the law, to a new master, a master of grace that gives us ability to walk with God. And he talks about that in verse 6. He says, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law to serve in a new way. It is the way of the Spirit. That is the connection there that is shared. Then he goes down and he talks about this uh, this new life. In, in verse 7, he walks down and, and he uses the example of coveting. Notice there, he says, For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do you not covet? He says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So what's he saying here? He says, The sin... Made, I mean, the law made sin come alive. It's just like that sign that says, wait, wet paint. What happens? I got to touch that. I got to touch that wet paint. Or keep off the grass. What happens? Man, I got to put my picnic blanket down on the grass. Or it is that example of sin comes alive because the law exposes it and, 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 and brings it forth. And as he shares here his truth, he comes down to verse 13. He says, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. In order that sin might be recognized as sin. It produced death in me through what was good. So that sin might become utterly sinful. So I want to look here. A couple of benefits of the law. First, the law tells me what is right and what is wrong. The law exposes the rules of the game. You know, in order to play a game, you have to have rules. If you don't go by the rules, it becomes chaos. This is a time of football, time of basketball and sports. You know, why do they have in these sports, why do they have courts, why do they have these white lines on the basketball courts or on the football fields? Why do they have these lines? They're boundaries. You step out of that bounds, you're no longer in the game. The law shows those boundaries. It shows that in life, where you're, where you are, and when you step out, what the consequences are of stepping out of that area. And, and here's the deal: sin demands death. Notice there in verse eleven, he says, "By the commandments, it would deceive me that through the commandment put me to death." So then the law is holy and the commandment's holy, righteous, and good. He's not trying to say here that the commandment in any way is evil, but the commandment exposes the truth of the fact is that we're all headed toward death. That is the truth that is communicated. And the gospel story is that the law exposes sin and sin leads to death and death is required. 
That is why there was that Old Testament sacrifice where an animal was sacrificed and death came to that animal and the blood was poured forth. For it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And that is why the scripture says there has to be a perfect sacrifice. And that's what the hope of the gospel is all about, is that God became that perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ so that the law would not just expose sin to lead us to death, but there might be life through grace. The trouble is, in our culture, we don't merely want to diminish sin. We want to delete it. We're coaxed into saying, well, you just need to be more understanding. You just need to be more patient with people. But the truth of the matter is, it's not that. It's the fact that there's sin. And that sin separates and destroys people. And God loves us. And He does not want us to go down that path of sin because it's destructive. In Rome, I mean Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light um, results in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, Find out what pleases the Lord. He goes on to say, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but expose them. He says everything exposed by the light makes everything visible. And he's talking about that light, man, it exposes our hearts. It exposes where we are. It exposes our sin. It shows us clearly. And then in verse 14, he makes this command. And this is to the church, not to the lost person. He says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so what Paul is sharing personally to the church at Ephesus, he shares as the church body. He says, guys, don't live in the darkness. The law exposes where you are. The light of, of the law, of God's word, of God's truth. It, it shows you that sin. Don't hide in the darkness. Let that light expose it and then run to Jesus. Run to the sacrifice that covers it. That, that brings hope. That brings truth. And so there is a, the truth that that law shows sin that leads to death. And then... The third benefit is it exposes the sinner. Just as I read, it, it, it shows us where we are. Just like in Ephesians 5 as he's talked to the whole church. Now down in verse 13, he drops off here. He says, did that which is good then become death to me? He says, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin... It is used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. Oh, not something that just trips you up or, or sets you back. It brings death. It hurts people. It hurts relationships. It hurts God. Let's say that uh, you, know, you, you find out you have this growth on your body. And it really worries you. And so you go to the doctor and he looks at the growth and he says, you know, we need to have this tested. We're going to send you to, to have a scan to make sure that you're okay. And so you go and you have a scan. And the scan shows that there's something wrong. You've got cancer. Well, imagine if you came back and said, I hate that stupid machine. It's the machine's fault that I have cancer. That stupid machine, I should have never went and had that test. 
because that stupid machine has put me in this predicament. It's not the machine's fault that it exposed the cancer in your body. No, it just showed you that, man, you got something that needs to be dealt with. And if you don't deal with it, it's only going to get worse. And it's going to lead to all kinds of trouble. That's that's what the law does. The law exposes the sin and, and shows us that, man, we need to deal with the problem. Look at verse 14. He says, we know that the law is unspiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He just admits his struggle. He says, man, I'm, I'm struggling. You know what I'm telling you, I'm dealing with too. The, the root of the problem is my heart. I still battle with this sin nature. I still battle with this struggle. But the fruit of it are the sins themselves where I don't obey God, where I don't walk with Him. That's what he's talking about here, guys. Then he drops down to verse 18 and, and he confesses. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, he says, but I cannot carry it out. That word... Um, that uh, talks about sin living in me, that word living uh, could be translated to be at home. He's saying, you know, sin's just at home in me. It's a part of me. And, you know, we, we try to downplay it. We try to ignore it. But we can't. The result of that is death and destruction. And we're hurt when we do that, guys. I thought the other day, I'm sitting in the house, and sunshine was coming through the window. And I looked, you know, because the, as the light comes through the window, and I looked, and I saw dust. Have you ever done that? You know, I thought the house was clean, but there was like all this dust, you know, just flying, flying around. I thought, oh, no wonder I'm having trouble breathing. I'm breathing in all this dust. I didn't know the dust was there until the light showed the dust. And then I realized what I was breathing in. The light of God's word and the illumination of the spirit of God. It just shows us where we are. It shows us our predicament. <laughs> the truth of the matter is we cannot make the sin nature nicer. We try to cover it up. And we try, well, we'll just dress it up pretty and it'll, you know, it'll look better. Sin is sin. I heard, uh, I think it was Adrian Rogers, I heard a preacher a long time ago, and he said, you know, you can take a pig, and you can take him out of the mud, and you can clean him up, and you can put all kinds of, I call it smell well, but all kinds of nice smelly perfume on that pig. And, and you know, then after that, you can dress him up. I mean, maybe even put a bow tie on him. You know, I mean, have a good-looking pig. And and then after you do that, I mean, you might could go as far as, remember Arnold the pig on Green Acres? I mean, I'm telling some age here if you've seen the old Green Acres shows. He was a sophisticated pig. Well, maybe you could even get you a sophisticated pig. But you know what? First chance that pig gets to get away, he's going to run for the mud. Why? He's a pig. <laughs> and And that's the way it is with sin. There is this battle, guys, because the truth of the matter is we are sinners. And it's a continual battle. The want to may be there, but it's not enough to stop the battle. It just keeps going on. And we all have inclinations toward the mud hole. For some, that inclination might be lust. 
For others, it might be gossip. For others, it might be greed. And I mean, I, you know, now that I've started a list, where do I stop it? It can be a long list. That's a problem with sin. There's a big list. But the idea is the inclination. There's a battle, and we all have a battle. It's there, and, and it's not going away until we're in heaven. Because only then when we get to heaven will the presence of sin be removed. And I look forward to that because sometimes this old sin nature just drives me nuts. It's like, why am I? This is stupid. Why do I want to do this? I know this is wrong, but ooh, I want to do it so bad. You know, <laughs> that's that nature that that's within us. And I mean, you think, when does it end? I mean, for example, with guys, I mean, when does the lust end? I mean, look at Hugh Hefner. I mean, really? He's about to dry up, isn't he? But obviously, uh, that's still there. And so until until we're in his presence, there's that inclination, there's that fight, there's that battle. And that's what Paul is talking about. And third, we dare not ignore our sinful nature. It is a matter that needs to be dealt with. And we all have it. <laughs> I read this story. Uh, this happened on a flight from Seattle to San Francisco. And um, there was a, uh, when the plane arrived there was a person on the flight and, and she obviously had flown a lot and she's blind and she's on glasses and the pilot walks through there and he knew her and uh so uh he he said to her uh, he said uh Lori uh we're in uh, Sacramento for an hour he says do you want me to help you get off the plane so you can take a break walk around you know anything you need and she said no but uh my my dog Probably like to be, you know, go for a walk, get up, move around. He said, okay. So he takes the CNI dog. Now picture this. He walks off the plane with the CNI dog. And he's even got on pilot sunglasses. Not only did you have people wanting to get off the plane, but change airlines. You don't want a blind pilot. And yet, the truth of the matter is, there is a blindness that exists in each of us uh, called sin. Next, we don't need to hide our struggles. Paul didn't. Notice there in verse 24, what did he say? He said, what a wretched man I am. He admitted his struggles. I'm not saying we need to constantly talk about them or broadcast them everywhere. But I think there's a real power in transparency. And uh, there just is. God works in that way. You know, and of course, this is a time of year where, you know, everybody's making their resolutions. And, you know, some make it a couple of days. They say, you know, the typical amount is 21 days. After 21 days, we, you know, if we can make it 21 days, we've got a shot. But most of us don't make it 21 days. And, of course, the typical thing is diet. Of course, you know what Garfield said about diet. It's die with a T on the end of it. And, you know, we all kind of smirk. And, yeah, I want to drop a couple of pounds. And, yeah, yeah, preacher, I know. We all overeat and it's gluttony. And, and you know, gluttony's a sin. And preachers don't preach about it for good reason. And, no, but anyway, seriously. You know, we kind of joke about eating. But it's not so funny when we move into other areas, is it? If I name your inclination, if I name what you're tempted by, we don't laugh. Why? Because the battle's real. 
And when we're trying to talk to somebody about about the Lord, not that we broadcast it, but we don't need to act like we're some kind of super Christian where there's no battle and there's no struggle and, and all that. I mean, the truth of the matter is, guys, if I look around and, and, and I see somebody who who looks like, um, you know, he's not in a battle, I tend to think he must be a, a, a deserter, a draft dodger, you know, because the battle hurts as we're in the battle. Uh, as Paul talks about calling himself a wretch here in verse 24, I mean, he's, he's at the end of his rope. He's pretty hopeless. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? There is a Old Testament form of execution. Of course, we all know about the crucifixion and about the cross. Where a murderer, they would take the body that was murdered. And they would uh, put the person, you know, on his back and they would strap up wrist to wrist, ankle to ankle, waist to waist, so that the murderer actually would have that dead body, that corpse, bound tightly to him. And then they would just send him outside of the city or the village. This flesh, this dead corpse attached to him. And, and he would struggle and walk with it until at some point gangrene would set him and death would come to the murderer. And, and the picture here, Paul's, he's the wretched man that I am. I have this old, this old corpse of flesh, this old body of sin that is, is, is bound to me. And, and, and I have to carry it around. And, and, and he says, what am I going to do? He says, who is going to set me free? <laughs> and then we come to that last verse. He says, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. But he says the answer of the hope is in Jesus. He's where you run. <laughs> He's where you run. Okay, a couple of summary thoughts and I'm closing here. Uh, be willing to admit when you don't understand. Look at verse 15. I do not understand what I do. Hey, who likes a know-it-all? Isn't it a relief when somebody says, I don't know? Second, fully accept the fact that you're a sinner. Yeah, Paul says, I know nothing good lives in me in my sinful nature. You know, don't act like you don't have a problem. Well, you know, it's okay if you're a sinner, but not me. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Third, um, always leave room uh, for the imperfection or the fact that you might fall. Verse 20 says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It's sin living in me that does it. <laughs> this keeps us from pointing fingers and looking at other people and chasing other people's sins. Just to remember, um, God, if I don't walk close with you, I will fall. And then lastly, um, you know, openly admit your feelings of frustration. People are starved for authenticity. People who are humble. You know what humility is? 
Humility is seeing God as he is in his greatness and seeing me in need of a savior. That's humility. When I live seeing God in his greatness and me in need of a savior. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for a chance to look at your word. What are you up to, Master? For Paul is uh, a lot like we are. We look at him as a spiritual hero, as a man who did what we could never do. But if we're honest, we are not strangers to the struggle. And so, Father, as we take time now to listen to your voice, we call this uh, invitation or response. May we respond. Uh, My prayer is that the unfolding of your words has provided light, understanding, and that we might just obey you. So, Lord, in this time, call us to you. If that means coming to an altar to pray, may we come pray. If it means making a decision where we stand and sing, may that occur. If it means not walking down the aisle, but across the aisle, to, you know, deal with a relationship that's been hurt. May that happen, Lord. I mean, after all, you know us. You know our hearts. There's no reason to act like you don't. And there's no benefit of being procrastinators and, and acting like we're not sinners. We need to run to you and obey. So may that happen as we stand, as we sing, as we say yes to the moving of your spirit. In Christ's name. Amen.